Amazing grace. If you did a poll of, of what are some of the most uh, beloved, meaningful, powerful songs or hymns of the faith, my guess is that year after year after year, you would find that Amazing Grace continues to track uh, near the top of that list. There's something just incredibly powerful about that music. There's something uh, riveting about the, the lyrics. When you learn about the, the backstory. It, it, it makes it all the more meaningful that, that there's just something overwhelming. There's something powerful. There's something utterly amazing about grace. In fact, it is one of the things that I have discovered is that the more that you know about grace, the more that you begin to unpack grace and in all of its forms and facets, the more amazed you are by grace, the more just in awe of grace that you are. And that's the hope for this sermon series that we're entering into. We, we, we want to just help one another to be truly more deeply, perhaps more passionately amazed by grace. And what I have discovered is the more you learn about grace, the more amazing it becomes. The, the, the more you know about it, the more, the more it just overwhelms you with its goodness. And sometimes I liken it to like a, like a diamond or a fine jewel or something. It, you know, you see it at once and it's a wow. But then as you look at it from different angles... As you look at it against different backdrops or different lightings, you start to discover and marvel at, at just how, how multifaceted this jewel is. And that's what happens to us when we look at grace. When we look at it from different angles, when we see it in different light, it, it just overwhelms us with, with the goodness and the multifaceted nature of God's amazing grace. And I thought it ended up just being kind of appropriate, perhaps, that we kick off this series on amazing grace on Mother's Day. Because for many of us in the room, our first taste of grace, our first human experience with grace probably came from our moms. Somebody who poured out to us unmerited favor, undeserved and unequaled love, and kept pouring it out in our lives, even at times when we deserved exactly the opposite. The person who, in many ways, modeled for us the tough and the tender sides of love and God's amazing grace. So that, that's where we want to go in the weeks ahead. And I wanted to start this morning at, at the foundational level. And that is to look at, at the, the God's saving grace, the grace that he extends to us that saves. And to do that this morning, I want us just to kind of look at five aspects of this saving grace. And I'm just going to build it this morning around, around the word grace. I uh, don't often do acrostics, but I'm going to do that today. Uh, and we'll just take each of those letters and, and maybe they'll help us to, to appreciate uh, again, uh, this marvel of God's saving grace. The G stands for God's gift to me. When we start talking about grace, we need to understand it is always, always, always about a gift. God's gift to me. And the Bible talks about that over and over again, and you'll see it, uh, it come up again and again through these verses we'll look at. Well, here's one example in Paul writing to the Romans. For the wages of sin is death. The contrast is, but the free gift 
of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is what I earned. This is what I deserved. This would be just. This would be fair. Death, separation from God. The gift, the gift is life. The gift is grace. Grace is always about God's gift to me. A while back, I was in a conversation with, with some folks, and uh, they're not followers of Jesus Christ uh, necessarily, but uh, one of them, in the course of the conversation, said, well, you know, I, 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 you know, I, I know there's lots of different religions out there, and, and folks teach different things, but I, I've, I've just kind of come to the point, I just try to live my life by the golden rule. And I've had countless conversations like that through the years. And that was, you know, I just, I just try to live by the golden rule. And, okay, what do you do with that? Well, first of all, I affirmed it. Well, wow, that's, that's awesome because, you know, honestly, if everybody in the world lived by the golden rule, we'd be a whole lot better off, wouldn't we? I mean, the world would be a whole lot better place. But, you know, as I continued the conversation, as I've read the Bible, particularly the New Testament, I've discovered a radical difference between every other religion and every other belief system in the world and authentic biblical Christianity. And the difference can be summed up in do versus done. Do versus done. Every other belief system, every other major religion in the world tends to come down to some form of do. I, I, I follow the golden rule, or I, I do good things, or I do these religious activities, or I, in the end, I hope I do more good things than bad things so that my credits outweigh my, my debits, if you will. And at the end, I hope I'm going to be okay with God because I have done enough good things. Quite honestly, that, that tends to be the belief system of the majority of folks in America. We tend to think, I, I'm probably okay because I tend to do more good things than bad things. I do. But authentic biblical Christianity, what God offers to us is not based on what we do. It's based on what he's done that he has done for us what we could not do for ourselves, that Jesus Christ lived a life of perfect love and perfect obedience that we were unable to do. That Jesus Christ sacrificially offered his life on the cross to pay the death penalty that I owed. And he offers to me grace. He offers to me forgiveness. He offers to me a restoration of life and relationship with God. And that is all because of his gift to me. Do versus done. But as I begin to understand grace, I understand it's based on God's gift to me. But it also something I have to receive by faith. I have to receive it. You know, the greatest gift in the world, which I think is the gift of God's grace, like any other gift, has to be received. A gift not only has to be given extended, offered, but it has to be received. We have to receive it through faith. Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 8 and 9, for some of you in the room, these will be uh, familiar verses. Maybe it's a new one for you. For by grace, there's that word again, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. 
It is God's gift. It is grace, but it becomes operative. It becomes real in your life through faith. That's the the, the channel. That's what connects your life to God's amazing grace. But even that capacity, even that capacity for faith is not your own doing. But it is a gift from God. From beginning to end, through and through, it is all God's gift to me. Again, Paul wrote a letter to some folks in Rome. We know it as Romans. This is why it depends on faith, he wrote. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. It depends on faith. It rests on grace. It all comes through him. So as we begin to understand grace, as we begin to understand how we are rightly related to God, we understand that salvation is not based on my performance. And most of us, if we're honest, say, thank you, God. (laughs) Thank you, God, because I know what my performance does. But it's based on God's promise. The promise of forgiveness, the promise of life, the promise of restoration, the promise of his grace extended to me. It's a gift from God. It's a gift that becomes operative in my life as I receive it by faith. But here's something I want you to know this morning, and that is that this is available to everyone. It is available to you today, regardless of your background, regardless of, of where you measure on the, the performance chart, regardless if, we, if you've been religious or irreligious, whether you have kind of some, some lots of baggage or a little bit of baggage, regardless of your nationality, your language language, anything, it is available to you. John's gospel records that wonderful kind of gospel in miniature, if you will. For God so loved the world. So often I encourage folks to put their name in there. For God so loved Jeff. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal or everlasting life some of you may have have heard that first in a king james version it says whosoever whosoever will i kind of like that one whoever whosoever regardless of your background you can get connected. You can experience God's love because it's based upon his promise, not your performance. And the promise, as Paul wrote the Romans, is for everyone. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Regardless of your background, you will be saved. I have a lot of portions of God's Word of the Bible I just I I dearly love and uh, sometimes I say oh this is my favorite this is my favorite and and then I read something else and this becomes my favorite and and I think different seasons of your life different verses different chapters become very very meaningful to you but one that has been just at least one of my favorites for quite some time has been Luke chapter 15 and in Luke chapter 15 Jesus stacks up three parables some of you know them, the parable of, uh, of lost sheep, parable of lost coin, and then the longest of those three parables, uh, a parable that oftentimes is known as the parable of the prodigal son. 
Some have said it would be better named the the parable of the gracious or the, the forgiving or the loving father. The story goes like this. Have this son, the younger son. He basically wants to take his daddy's money and run. He gets some money and he takes off to another country. He kind of turns his back on his father's wisdom, his father's love, his father's values, his father's household. He just turns his back on all of those things and he's going to run his own way because he's smarter than his dad, right? Sometimes we act like we're smarter than our heavenly father too, don't we? And he goes off in this far country and he's going to do it his way. He's captain of his own ship. He knows what he's doing. Only it turns out he didn't know as much as he thought. And life begins to spiral in a direction he never really foresaw. And he had some so-called friends, but when the money ran out, so did his friends. And he eventually finds himself just scraping by making a living, kind of tending to pigs, which, by the way, is not a really good job for a good Jewish boy, right? And one day it dawns on him. And he's sitting there in the muck and the smell and all this, and he realizes these pigs are eating better than I am. How in the world did I get here? The Bible talks about the fact he came to his senses. It's like the light bulb went off. And he said, you know, Even the lowliest servant in my father's house has it better than I've got it now. Maybe, just maybe, just maybe, if I kind of went crawling back home, my dad might, might possibly take me back in as this lowly servant. So he musters up his courage and he takes a risk and he heads home. As he's cresting the hill, his father, who's had his eyes out for him every single day, sees his son coming. And what does that father do? Does he go plop in his big chair behind his desk and say, let that boy come crawl to me? No, 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 no. That daddy bolts. He bolts and he runs to embrace his son. And he hugs him and he kisses him and he welcomes him and he puts a a robe around his shoulders and a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and he has a has a feast has a party because this one who was dead this one who was who was distant this one who was away is now back he is alive he is in he doesn't take him in as this lowly servant so that he can grovel the rest of his life but he welcomes him back as a forgiven son And that's the picture. That's the picture I want you to have of God's grace. It is available to you. It is available to that one that you want to give up on, that you keep praying for, that you think they're they're, they're never going to get out of the pig pen. It is available to everyone. And it may be that for some of you, that today, today is the day when you come to your senses. And you come home. And you run home. Not to negotiate a lowly servanthood, but to be embraced by God's grace. To be forgiven. To be restored. To be renewed as a member of His forever family.
That is God's amazing grace. And it's available to you today. Whatever your background, wherever you've come from, whatever baggage you bring to this moment, it is available to you. But while it is available to everyone, I need you to understand this morning that it only comes through Christ. It only comes through Christ. The New Testament is, is, is very, very clear that there are not a, a thousand ways to, to get right with God. There is one way. And that one way provided by God's grace is through Jesus Christ. John's gospel begins in the first chapter, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. God loves you enough to to receive you, but he loves you enough to speak truth into your life. And part of that truth is there is one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When the early followers of Jesus Christ were beginning to proclaim uh, the the gospel, this good news, this, this good news of God's grace, they made it crystal clear that it only comes through Christ. Look at their words. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel, as he's given explanation of this healing that's taken place in Acts 4, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him... This man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Please give attention to the last sentence. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This grace only comes through Jesus Christ. Now, please hear me on this. When we talk about grace, we talk about amazing, we talk about available, we talk about about free. We need to make a, a careful distinction. Grace is free to you and to me, but that doesn't mean it's cheap right? And we we tend to assume in our culture, if somebody's giving something away, there's a hook, there's something, or it's kind of cheap, it's not really worth that much, or has not a whole lot of value, or whatever it may be. Grace is free, but it is not cheap at all. In fact, it's so expensive that you and I could never, ever, ever get it on our own. That's why some people have taken that same word grace and used a different acrostic, They've just talked about it as God's riches at Christ's expense. It's free because it's offered to you and I as a gift. But don't mistake free for cheap. It was incredibly expensive. It cost Christ everything. A life of perfect love and perfect obedience. A willingness to go and to die on a cross in my place and yours. To be buried, to be resurrected again. A willingness to give up the glories of heaven to come and to to live on this earth as as a man, to to endure all that was part of a sin-scarred world. All of that was part of the expense that Christ paid to make available to you and I this amazing grace that has the potential to restore a broken relationship with our Heavenly Father. But it only comes when I am in Christ. 
Sometimes when talking to someone about this, this or teaching about it, I'll, I'll use like a card and, and maybe a Bible or it can be any book, but it just works with the Bible. And, and, and we're just, let's just assume for just the purposes of this illustration that the, my Bible here represents Christ, okay? It represents uh, his perfect uh, life of love and obedience. It represents his sacrificial death. It represents all that he is and all that he has done. On this card, on the other hand, is everything I have done. It's, it's, it's all, the, all, all my rebellion, all the times I've, I've said I'm smarter than God, I've chosen my way instead of his, all the ways, times I've, I've rejected his love, I, I've rejected his wisdom, all the time that I've failed him, I've failed myself, I've failed other people. Some of you are thinking, Jeff, that card's not big enough, and you're right, it's not big enough. It would be, it would be huge. But here's what it is. If the only thing I have to present is this card, I'm in trouble. Because what this card earns me is death. Separation from God now and forever. But here's what Jesus does. He says, by grace, through faith, that you can be in Christ. And when you're in Christ, when God looks at me, he doesn't look at, and see all the, all the failure, all the sin, all the rebellion, all the lack of love, all the lack of obedience. What he sees is the perfect life of Jesus Christ. That if I am in Christ, I am now covered by Jesus Christ. His perfect life, his sacrificial death, the power of his resurrection. I am now in Christ by his grace it only comes through jesus christ and that powerful grace is eternal in its impact it's eternal in its impact it it continues for it begins in a moment but it continues throughout all eternity let's revisit a couple of these verses romans 6 again for the wages of sin is death but the free gift of god is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This grace not only radically changes us in the moment, it's not only just for, for our brief sojourn on this earth, although that, that in and of itself is incredible and amazing, and we'll unpack aspects of that in the weeks ahead. But the, the impact of this, the ramifications of this, last for all eternity. Again, to John three sixteen, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This grace that intersects our life through Christ is eternal in its impact. It, it, has, it makes such a difference in our life that it reverberates throughout all eternity. Now, we, we won't take time to look at all the implications of that this morning, but can I just hint at what's coming? Can I hint at the fact that if you're in Jesus Christ, if you've experienced that saving grace, that you have a place with him forever? The Bible talks about a new heaven and a new earth. It talks about a place of reunion, a reunion with Christ, reunion with loved ones who have gone ahead of us in Jesus Christ. 
It's a place of reward. It's a reward by his grace. Uh, it's, it's just amazing. He, he gifts us for ministry. He empowers us for ministry and service. And then he turns around and by that same grace rewards us for ministry and service. It's all by his grace. It's a place of reward, well done, good and faithful servant. It's a place of reassignment. That we were designed, you go back to the Garden of Eden, we were designed for meaningful labor. We were designed to serve in ways perfectly aligned with how God has created us. And he's going to give us a reassignment. There's going to be meaningful things for us to do. We're not just going to be like floating on clouds, strumming harps, you know, for all eternity. But there's going to be real meaning and real purpose in this forever life. It's a place of release. A place of release. I'm released from sin. I'm released from the, the ravages of a sin-scarred world. I'm re- get to be released from, from, from the pain and the suffering that is accompanying sin in this world. I get to be released from all of those things. And on and on and on it goes. Why? Because God's amazing grace is eternal in its impact. Now at this point... Some of you may be thinking, well, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. But, you know, I've heard a lot of things from a lot of people. I mean, I watched that infomercial and thought that's the greatest product in the entire world. And I ordered it. It didn't work. (laughs) It didn't work like it did on TV. I mean, how do I know? I mean, how do I know this? I mean, come on. We've been, we've been raised to, to believe if it sounds too good to be true, it is, right? And honestly, when you begin to think about God's grace, it really is too good to be true. It just seems, why would anybody do that? So, Jeff, why should I believe you? Well, the only reason I have is the one that the New Testament has. And that is simply this. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. I know maybe that you can't read that on the screen. It might be too small, but you have it in your note-taking guide. Look at that passage from Corinthians. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. How do I know if this is really true? Everything hinges on the resurrection. Everything hinges on the resurrection. If if Jesus Christ has not been resurrected, then honestly, I have just misrepresented God in reality to you. If Jesus Christ has not been represented, resurrected, then everything that, that some of us have placed our hope in is in vain. It's futile. It's pointless. But if... If Jesus Christ has been resurrected, then that changes everything. That changes everything. And so here's, here's my logic, okay? Here's my logic. 
I'm going to go with the guy who can call in advance his own death and resurrection and deliver on that promise. That's the guy that I want to trust. That's the one that I'm going to go with. I don't want to trust in my performance. I want to trust in the one who in advance lived an extraordinary life and then in advance told about his death and then said he would be in a tomb and on the third day he would raise from the dead. And he delivered on that prediction and that promise. And if he can deliver on that, I trust him to deliver on every other promise that he's made in God's word. Everything hinges on the resurrection. That's why Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then the pivotal question, do you believe this? Do you believe it? Because in the end, every one of us is going to trust in a performance plan or the promise of God. We're going to trust in what we do or in what he's done. We're going to trust in our merit or we're going to lean on his grace. It's one or the other. Many of you know the name of Peter Drucker. Peter Drucker's been called the, the father of American management. His influence is, is probably wider spread than, than any of us can appreciate. He had a tremendous impact with his thinking, with his writing, with his books. Many of them became just kind of, kind of basic textbooks. Many of you are, are working in, in workplaces that are, have been impacted and affected by the thinking and the methodology of Peter Drucker. And Peter Drucker, who mentored some leaders in the business world and the nonprofit world, uh, still has a tremendous influence in our culture. Peter Drucker was asked one time, how did you become a Christian? Here's this incredible business mind. This is his answer. He said, when somebody first explained grace to me, I realized I was never going to get a better deal. There is no way I was ever going to get a better deal than God's amazing grace. And so as I draw this to a close, I I just want to make sure that you understand how you have to respond to God's saving grace. Because it's not just about head knowledge. It's not even just about Acknowledging, Jeff, I think, I think you're, you're probably right. I want to I go with the guy who called his death and resurrection in advance too. But you have to personally and individually respond to God's saving grace. And I, I'm, a, I'm a kind of a simple guy, so I need to keep it simple. And, and I'm going to give you one more acrostic. And if this is your first time here, you're going to think, this guy really loves acrostics. I really don't. I don't use them that, that often. It just kind of happened that way today. But this is actually one I've used through the years in a lot of individual conversations and in a lot of teaching environments. 
And the acrostic is simply B-A-S-E. Because in order to respond to God's saving grace, I need to establish a spiritual base in my life. And let me just unpack this for you. And then I'm going to invite you to respond. The B is for believe. That there are certain things that I'd have to believe. I have to believe that what... God, what the Bible says about me, what it says about my need, what it says about my inability to rescue myself is true. I have to believe what it says about Jesus, the life he lived, the death he died, the resurrection that took place. I have to believe the offer that he makes to me through his amazing grace. I have to believe those things. But I also have to admit, I have to admit that I have a need I have to admit that I have rebelled against God. I've rebelled against his love. I've rebelled against his wisdom, that I've gone my way instead of his. There are many times I've declared I'm smarter than you, God, and chosen my way instead of his, and that I can't rescue myself. I have to admit I can't save myself. My performance will never be good enough. I need him to do for me what I could not do for myself. I have to admit And then I have to be willing to switch, to switch, to switch from trusting myself to trusting him, to switch from running and directing my own life to running and directing my life under his lordship, surrendered fully to him. I have to switch. I have to get off, step off the throne of my life, if you will, and invite him to step back into his rightful place on the throne of my life to be the leader, the Lord, the director, the boss of my life from this point forward. I have to be willing to switch. And then I need to take that belief and that admission and that switch and express it to God. Just express it to Him. It doesn't have to be with flowery words or even necessarily religious-sounding words. It just has to be with authentic words. In fact, is in just a moment, what I would like to do is just model a way of expressing that, of just talking to God in prayer. And if this morning the words that I use give voice to what you want to say in your heart and in your mind to the Heavenly Father, I'm just going to ask you in the quietness of your seat just to pray that prayer to God. And so this is what I want to ask you to do for just the last few moments that we have together. Would you just bow your heads with me right now? And I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And the reason I ask you to do that is it just helps us to focus. To focus on what maybe God's wanting to say to us right now. What we need to say to Him. Help us not to, to kind of get distracted by anybody or anything happening around us. And as you just focus on his presence right now, maybe these words would give voice to what you want to say. Dear God, thank you for loving me. And God, today I, 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 I just want to tell you I believe. I believe that you've done for me what I could not do for myself. I believe that you sent Jesus to live the life that I should have lived, to die the death I deserve. And you raised him to offer to me forgiveness and a brand new start and a brand new life.
forever with you. Father, I, I admit, I admit my rebellion and my sin, my choosing my way over yours. And I, I'm not blaming anybody else today. I'm not blaming my parents. I'm not blaming my upbringing. I'm not blaming a teacher, a coach, a boss. I own it. It's me. And because of that, I want to switch. I want to switch from trusting in myself to trusting you. I want to switch from counting on my performance to leaning on your grace. Today, I want to switch from being the boss of my own life, the captain of my own ship, to allowing you to be the boss, the leader, the Lord of my life. And Lord, I just, I tell you this in my heart, I tell you this from my head with all the sincerity that I have to offer to you in this moment. And I'm taking you at your word that you offer through Jesus Christ. As you just continue to sit quietly before the Lord right now, I'm just going to just tell you if, you, if you prayed that prayer today, if you've expressed that from the depth of your being today, that there's something going on right now. Something that has eternal implications. And I don't know if you feel different in this moment or not. It's not about a particular feeling. It's about establishing that spiritual base. And I'm just going to ask you just to indicate what you've been doing today, how you've been responding to God. If you still have a connect card with you, maybe just on the back of that, you just need to check a box and say, Pastor Jeff, today, today I became a follower of Jesus Christ. Or maybe you just have some more questions. You can put that on a card. You can put it in any of the card holders, the little baskets on the wall by the exits as you go out. But for many of you in the room, before you leave this room, you need to make your way to the back. We have a place called our Connect Room. There's a banner there. We have a team of folks that are praying for you right now, and they're just available to you. Maybe you just have something going on in your life, and you need somebody to pray with you. Maybe you have a question. Something I said didn't seem clear, didn't make sense. These folks would be glad to answer your questions or to go a little bit deeper with you on this. Maybe you have some very specific next steps in terms of church membership or baptism or or whatever it is in terms of following Christ. This team can help you with any of those things. And so I'm going to ask you in just a moment after after we sing to find your way back to that connect room. Let us come alongside you as you take your next step. Father, I just pray for every one of us in this room right now. And I praise you and thank you for your amazing, amazing grace. I pray, Lord, that it would just be so very real to us this moment, this day, this week, that we would live in the comfort and the confidence that comes by being covered by your amazing grace. Father, I pray very specifically now that that before some folks leave this room, that they would make their way to that connect room, that they would Just do business with you with the help of some other people. Lord, I thank you for mothers that are going to come to faith today. I thank you for children who are going to follow in the examples of their mothers in faith today. Father, thank you 
Thank you, thank you for your amazing grace. And we give you praise for it. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.